Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Anderson continues the series titled Checkbox with Part 6, Check Engagement. A dinner plate, shoes, PVC, and wafers offer a great visual to help understand four principles of engagement. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Well, we're continuing in our series from James chapter 1. And as you know, um, in James, he's really talking to believers primarily, and he's, he's given us how to practically live out the Christian life. And so our study through James chapter one has been the series with no name. It's just this icon of the checked box. And what we're doing is walking through the chapter and looking at qualities and characteristics that hopefully we can check that box and say either we have that or we need that and we want that as a part of our life. Last week, um, we talked about spiritual receptivity which is basically being receptive to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God and to the call of God on our life. The last thing we talked about in that uh, session was um, that we had to act on the Word. Spiritual receptivity pushes us to act on the Word. And so I want to take up right there where we left off and kind of bridge that gap. And this morning, um, expound on that a little bit and look at one area, one application of what it looks like to act on the word. So before we get into it, I have a few just ordinary, everyday items that I want to introduce this morning. This first is just a dinner plate, right? Okay, what's the deal? Then I have tennis shoes, which we're very familiar with throughout this series. I have a piece of PVC here. And then I have a bowl full of, we're just going to call them little wafers, okay? Now, as we walk through here, I, as we begin, I just want you to think about what these four items have in common, how they relate to one another, and what they have to do with what we're going to talk about here in just a few moments. I want to focus on a concept that, to be honest, has been on my heart and spirit ever since we started this series in James, because I think it's a critical element for us as believers, as well as for us as a local church, especially as a brand new church, as we're still creating our DNA. This is a concept that I think has to stay at the forefront of who we are and what we do. And it's the topic of engagement. Now by engagement, I mean involvement, a connection, um, initiating relationship, you will. We've got a four-part vision statement, as most of you know. One of those is to engage. Our four-part mission statement is, if you remember it, is that we desire everyone to experience God, to exalt Christ, to embrace community, and to engage the world. And so here we're talking about this concept of engagement. We're talking about engaging the world. That means we want to engage those who are unengaged with Christ or unengaged with any church family. Those who have become disengaged 
with Christ in the relationship or disengaged with the church. Those who are in need, those that are hurting, those that have need, uh, the least of these, going out into the world and engaging, connecting, involving, initiating relationship and ministry with them. That's what we're talking about in this concept of engagement. And this is the undercurrent of James, the whole book, the undercurrent of what he's trying to communicate is we have to be engaged with the world, engaged with people, engaged with those who need Christ and those who need ministry. In verse 1, he kind of infers this. He says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Remember when the church was scattered at the, at the stoning of Stephen, the church, uh, the believers were planted all over that part of the world. So instead of the believers being populated there in Jerusalem, they were dispersed to the whole region. So in God's sovereignty, he used this persecution to disperse the people into that part of the known country. Why? Well, one of the reasons had to be so that they would engage the world. In Matthew 28, go and make disciples into all the nations. So part of the mindset here was to go into all the nations in this disbursement and engage the world. They were not called to get in that part of the world and commune in their little holy huddle and forget the world. Their job was to engage that part of the world that they had been dispersed into. So engagement was the strategy all along. So part of the message that James is trying to convey is that our faith, as people of faith, who people who claim to be of faith, that what God is doing in us, that would push us out into the world, that that would push us out into the people in the world so that we would be what Jesus Christ has called us to be, salt and light. That we would be what Paul has called us to be, ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation, that we would go out and engage the world. Now, what he infers in verse 1, he states a little more plainly in verse 22. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Now, we stated last week that we deceive ourselves when we begin to believe that hearing the word is the end. That my whole responsibility is just to hear the word, that we can come together corporately and hear the word, that we can gather in a Bible study and hear the word, and that's the end. We deceive ourselves when we don't understand that we have an obligation to go out and act on the word that we've just heard. When we disengage ourselves, we create problems. So James is reminding us that the strategy is engagement of the world. So with that in mind, I want to share four principles of engagement. If we're going to be in the world, if we're going to engage the unengaged and the disengaged and the hurting and the needing, those that need Christ, those that need ministry, here are four principles that we need to bear in mind. So before we get into that, let me come back to these elements. Have you, have you figured out yet what all four of these have in common? Well, obviously, they have something to do with engagement. But in reality, each one of these elements will represent one of these principles of engagement. So as we walk through this, I want each one of these elements to be a visual for you so that you can see what we're talking about and implant it in your mind as we talk about these four principles. Here's the very first principle of engagement. It's to understand the power of engagement. Now that's represented by the dinner plate. What does the plate represent? Well, mealtime. It's time to eat. So we're going to have a meal. It also represents the fellowship and the community 
that we have. When we gather friends or family around, we all eat together. We're, we're nourishing ourselves, but we're doing this in this context of, of fellowship and communion. And this represents what we're talking about spiritually, and that is it represents our time with the Father. The power of engagement all begins with our nourishment, with our feeding time, with our meal time with the Lord. That's where the, the power comes from. It comes from the fellowship with God. It comes from the time that we spend with God. In this statement, uh, in fact, let me, let me have you look at uh, chapter two, verse eight. I left this out. Let's, let's get some context here. We're gonna build these four principles around this passage in chapter two, verse eight, that says, if you really Keep the law found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. So he calls this love your neighbor as yourself, a royal law found in Scripture. When you're doing this, you're doing right. This, what we're talking about in these principles of engagement is built around this concept of love your neighbor. So in this statement, love your neighbor as yourself, that's really a, a part of a larger commandment imperative that we see in Matthew chapter 22 when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, James leaves out that first part, I think primarily because he's, he's assuming some things and he's dealing with something totally different where we're, we're acting out on our faith. So he omits the first part. But in the bigger picture of Scripture, these are tied together. And the first comes first for a reason because the initial engagement is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Then through that relationship and through that context, now we're able to love our neighbor, neighbor as ourselves. So our engagement with others is powered from our engagement with God. That's where it all starts. That's where the power comes from. Now, James has dealt with this some, and we've looked at it over the past few weeks, coming to God in prayer, asking God for wisdom, um, the good gifts that God brings us, etc. But the essence of what we're communicating is this. If my plate is empty, then I have nothing to share. If I'm not dining and, 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 and feeding on Christ, then I have nothing to give. There's no way I can effectively engage with others if I've not first spent time engaging with God and dining on Him. That's why we spend a lot of time up here talking about the importance of a consistent time with God. I say it all the time, and I'm going to continue to say it because it's the core of everything else that takes place. The importance of us spending time with the Father, where we're fellowshipping with Him, we're dining on His goodness and His grace, that is the empowerment that enables us to engage the world. So that's the principle number one, and that pushes us to the second principle of engagement, and that is to understand the priority of engagement. That's represented by the tennis shoes. Now, this is common for us if you've been coming during this series because we've really said that James is all about Christianity with tennis shoes. It's all about us going and doing and living out and serving. But if you're like some people in my family, probably you hate wearing shoes. Probably some of you, as soon as you get home from the day, the first thing you do is kick off your shoes. Some of you probably would never wear shoes if you didn't have to, if it wasn't rude to go into the grocery store without your shoes on. Why? Well, it's, I think most of us would agree it's way more comfortable not to have your shoes on. Well, the same is true spiritually. It is way easier and way safer 
to keep our shoes off spiritually. It's way easier to disengage with the world and never engage with those that need Christ and those that are in need and those that are hurting. It's way easier to disengage. But here in verse eight, he says, if you keep the royal law, which he is, love your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing right. That's probably a, a statement of, of some Roman law that was uh, in place back in that day. There, there were certain laws. It, 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 really, it really meant a, a law fit for a king or a, a law that a king would choose. These would be some laws that the, the king would set up and they would say, this law is priority. This law is top. This law is non-negotiable. And so it, it kind of rises to the top, if you will, that the king would choose. This is the context that James is probably referring to when he says, this law, love your neighbor as yourself, is top priority. What Jesus is saying when he said, love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying, I am placing that law above all other laws. That's why he said, what fulfills the law of the prophets? What's the greatest commandment? He didn't list 10 of them. What did he see? He compiled all these and these two, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So Christ himself is putting this as the highest priority, as one of the highest priorities. So here's the truth. When we as believers individually, when we as a local church corporately, and when we universally in the kingdom of God, we are at our best when we are engaged with the world. We are at our best when we're engaged in ministry and impacting the world, because as soon as we disengage with the world, we become isolated, self-centered, lazy. Our passion wanes, our purpose wanes, our joy wanes. Part of the reason we exist begins to, to disappear. And a danger can slip on us. And that is, as we continue to grow in Christ, as we continue to, for us, grow as a, as a local fellowship, as we begin to love one another even more and more, and we want to hang out together and fellowship, and more activities begin to take place in the church, we find ourselves spending more and more time just with ourselves and our holy huddles, and we begin to, to love one another really well, but we forget about the world. Now, part of our vision statement is to embrace community. And by community, we're talking about ourselves, loving ourselves well. We want to love one another very well, but that can never outpower, that can never outweigh our calling to be engaged with the world. As a church, if we do not engage the world, we're gonna die. That's why he says in verse 26, faith without deeds is dead. He says it in verse 17, faith is, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. The reality is, and if you really think about this, even in a practical way, if we don't engage people, we will cease to exist. We will begin just to shrivel up. We will die. Periodically, I go through some surveys or blogs or, or articles that talk about you know, the church and the importance of what we do as a church. And some of these articles a lot deal with what are church killers? What are things that will kill a church quick? Uh, poison in the church. And so most of these articles I've read 
Uh, they may be the top 10 or here's five reasons or whatever, but almost everyone that I read and look at, one of the church killers is, they say it different ways, but one of the biggest killers of the church is when we disengage with the world. When we begin to put all of our emphasis and our resources and our time and our energy inward, and we forget that there's a world out there that needs the love of Christ, when we begin to disengage, that will kill the church as quick as anything. One writer made a great visual that I thought was really good. He said, the church is in trouble when we begin to act like mirrors instead of windows. When we begin to look at ourselves in the mirror and it's all about us and we forget to peer out the window in a lost world that needs Christ and needs the ministry of Christ. We've got to keep engagement as a priority. Christine Kane in one of her devotional books um, has a, a good term for believers. She said we should be as or we should act as lostologists. We should all be lostologists where we have a mindset and a priority of seeking to go out into the world and share Christ and meet the needs of those that need Christ. We don't fear the lost. We should not judge the lost. We don't ignore those without Christ. Instead, we choose to engage so they can understand the love of Christ. So that priority of engagement pushes me to the third principle. And that is the purpose of engagement. And that leads me to this PVC. I think we all know what this is for. You know, water flows through it. It's designed for water to flow through it. It's not designed for water to flow in it. It's not designed for water to flow to it. It's designed for water to flow through it. There's a source and there's an ultimate destination. And this is the conduit by which it flows through. A bucket is designed to store water. This is not a bucket, okay? This is a pipe. So with a bucket, you store water. With a pipe, you transfer water. We as believers are not supposed to be buckets. We're supposed to be pipe. Unfortunately, if we're not careful, we can become buckets where we store God's goodness. You know, we talked about the power of engagement first, that first principle, where we're feeding on the word and we're spending time with God and we're fellowshipping on the word. It's really easy that that can become our whole priority. We're spending a lot of time with the Lord. We're spending a lot of time in the word, but it's just a bucket. It's just sitting here hoarding and it's never escaping and transferring to the world. The purpose of engagement is to allow what God's doing in us to flow through us, not just stick in us. So this phrase, love your neighbor as yourself by definition with love as an active word, that's a, that's a word of flow. It's not a word of storage. When we talk about engagement, that engagement can take on a lot of forms as we go into the world and engage people. It may take the form of sharing Christ. Just cold turkey. People, God gives us divine appointments and it's just boom, we have the opportunity to tell someone about Christ. It may take the form of building relationships with people. 
people we work with, people we live next to, uh, people that we're involved with, that we meet with things our, our children are involved in, and we're just, we're in the world. Part of what we do is build relationships with those people so we can build trust and, and earn the right at some point to share Christ with them. It may be finding people who are in great need, great physical need. There may be people that are hurting. That's part of why uh, James mentions here in verses 14 through 17, talking about, we talked about this several weeks ago, those without clothes and food, how we can minister to them. Back in chapter one, it talks about ministering to orphans and widows. He gives some examples. So it may be ministering to people with physical need because you have to meet some physical needs before you can earn the right to share spiritual needs. So it will take a lot of forms. So if somebody says, all right, is engagement evangelism or is it social ministry? The answer is yes. It's a both and. Okay, it's everything. It's where we take the love of Christ to them. So engagement is not us stepping into their world. Engagement is bringing Christ into their world. And there's a difference. Everything that we do in contact with the world has the context of hopefully having the opportunity for their greatest need in life to be met. They may need the friendship of a friend. They may need clothes. They may need food. They may need a lot of other physical needs that we want to meet and love them well here. But all that is ultimately so that we can bring Christ into them and have them have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about loving your neighbor and purposing to be this flow, we have to remember two things about this love. Number one, it's not selective. It says, love your neighbor. And we know from the story of the Good Samaritan who our neighbor is. It's anybody and everybody that has a need. See, if you were to read these first seven verses in chapter two before we get to verse eight, you'll see that James was talking about uh, partiality and favoritism. He said, there's, there's no place for favoritism. And when we engage with people, we don't really pick and choose. God, I'll minister to this person, but not this person. I'll engage this person, but not this person. Whoever God brings to our forefront, we engage them because it can't be selective. But also remember that love is not easy. When you make a commitment to engage the world, uh, it requires some inconvenience. It requires some discomfort. It requires some effort. Uh, there'll be some conflict. Uh, it's, it's not always fun and games. It takes effort, but he has called that the royal law, and it's high priority that we purpose to be engaged, and all that kind of pushes us to our fourth principle. It's a reminder. This fourth principle is a reminder of understanding our provision of engagement. Some of you may remember the story in Exodus chapter 16. The children of Israel are in the wilderness, and they're complaining about their food, uh, they kind of wish they could be, go back to Egypt where, you know, at least they got to eat. So God answers that prayer and gives them a couple of things. One of those things uh, was manna. And so when the manna came down, the Israelites said, what is that? Well, that's kind of what that word means. What is that? Nobody really knows what manna is. Now, Exodus said, uh, calls it bread. Uh, also said it's white like resin or it's, uh, it's white like frost. Numbers calls it, uh, it's like coriander seed and resin. Coriander was a plant back in that day that had seeds that would fall off. So it was kind of like that. It wasn't that. It was like that. The reality is nobody really knows what manna really looked like. But that's irrelevant and unimportant. It doesn't matter. Here's what's important about manna. Number one is that it was God's provision. 
And number two, it was new every morning. If you remember the story, they said, take just what you need for that day. Because if you take more, it's going to rot. Well, some of the Israelites decided to challenge God on that and challenge Moses on that. So they hoarded a bunch of extra. And the next morning, it was all maggot-filled. You could only take what you needed for that day. And there's a principle that God's mercies are new every morning. Lamentations 3, his mercies are new every single morning. Now, that principle applies to this concept of engagement. Because if we can understand the provision that he offers for engagement, it can revolutionize our desire for engagement. And the reality is this, that God supplies everything we need for engagement every day. He'll supply the people. He'll supply the opportunities. He'll supply the power. He'll supply the boldness. He'll supply the words. He'll supply the wisdom. He'll supply everything that you need to effectively engage people today. So you don't have to worry about hoarding it. You don't have to worry about holding back. You don't have to worry about not engaging people today because you can, you can wear yourself out engaging people today and you can use up every provision God's given you and you can know the next morning when you wake up, God has resupplied you with words and wisdom and power and people and opportunities to engage people that day. Now, one thing that reminds us of, it should create an intentionality and an urgency to the need to engage because the reality is there may be some opportunities if we miss today, they may not come back tomorrow. That's why he says in Ephesians 5 to make the most of every opportunity. And the encouragement this morning is that we would take the opportunity, that we would make every effort to take the opportunity every day to be people of engagement. My prayer, not just for myself, but my prayer for us as River Fellowship, as a young church, as a church trying to create who we are and create and establish our DNA, my prayer is that embedded deep in our DNA is the desire, the passion, the willingness to engage the world with the love of Christ. That we'll never, never become a holy huddle where we're content just to love on one another well. But we keep in our mind that there's a world out there that needs ministry. There's a world that has a need. There's a world that is hurting. And when you look at them, they may not look like they're hurting. Some do. Some you can tell. But some fake it really well. And so we've got to have a mindset that we are willing every day that we have an intentionality, we have a mindset. We've offered that up in prayer every morning. Father, with your new mercies, help me today. In the midst of my going, in the midst of everything I'm doing, we're all living life, but in the midst of all that, that you would make me aware of opportunities to engage the world. Because it's not just about us coming together and engaging like we do with Avondale. It's about even me as an individual, just in my walk of life, that part of my pattern and DNA is to engage the world so that they know the love of Christ. I don't know if any of you are Trekkies. I'm not really a Trekkie, but I used to watch Star Trek way back in the day when I was a kid, the original. But there was a second one that came up. I don't know if anybody watched it with, with Captain Picard. I don't know if some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? 
But if you did watch that, you know, they would always boldly go wherever, where no man has gone before. And Captain Picard is, in his character, every time they got ready to go, his phrase and his word was, I wish I could do it in his accent, I can't. But it was, engage. That's my heart this morning, is as in a church, as individuals, we would engage. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship at Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.